Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Transfiguration is certainly an amazing spectacle. We might sometimes wonder, well, why did God only allow just three people to witness that event, or three uh, people who had not yet before that time already gone to heaven as Moses and Elijah had done? Only Peter, James, and John got to witness that amazing sight of someone who had appeared outwardly uh, very much like them in every way, but in that instant was suddenly dazzling with, with brilliant, blinding white light, his, not only his, his face, but his clothing as well, shining with that uh, supernatural radiance of God's glory. God doesn't really tell us exactly why he only allowed those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to witness that event. But we do know that uh, Peter and John, uh, James, uh, uh, tragically, was the first of the 12 disciples who was killed, martyred, uh, put to death for his faith in Jesus and his witness uh, to Jesus as the Savior. Uh, But uh, later on, Peter and James both wrote in the Bible, in, in words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, about this event which they had seen and heard. And so Peter wrote in Second Peter, he said that we, uh, speaking of himself and the other apostles, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter calls back to this event, the the transfiguration of Jesus that they had seen with their own eyes and so many other uh, things that they had witnessed and heard Jesus do and and teach during the time that they were with him uh, during his earthly life and ministry. At that transfiguration, the, the transformation of Jesus before their eyes was so great that, as we mentioned, it carried over not just from Jesus' own body, from his face, but also even to the clothes that he wore. As we read, uh, his clothes became uh, dazzling white. And in the other gospel books uh, that that record this event, Matthew and and Luke, it says, as white as the sun, or as white as snow, or or as a combination of both, as as the the brilliant sun, Uh, shining on and reflecting off a a solid covering of snow on the ground, just dazzling white, almost too bright and blinding to look at. And as Mark describes it here in our reading, whiter than anyone on earth could bleach a garment. Think about a a very pure white garment, but shining with, with supernatural white light. Again, why did God cause this to happen? Why did he allow those disciples to see it? Well, if we back up just before this section in Mark chapter 9, we see that uh, not long ago, as you see, our, our text begins with six days later. Um, what happened six days before this event? Well, Jesus had been uh, teaching his disciples, and, and then he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And Peter gave the correct answer. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. But then Jesus went on to explain to them what exactly that meant. Yes, Peter had given the right answer on its face, but he later demonstrated that he really didn't understand what that meant, that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. And so Jesus explained to him that this means that I will go to Jerusalem and I will be rejected 
by the religious leaders of the Jewish people, and they will arrest me, convict me, mistreat me, and put me to death. And Peter, of course, didn't want that to happen. He didn't want Jesus to have to suffer. He didn't want himself and the other disciples, perhaps, to have to suffer together along with Jesus. And so he rebuked Jesus. He said, Lord, no, this will never happen to you. But Peter said, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus told them clearly, Whoever wants to follow me must take up their cross and follow me. Now that doesn't mean we have to literally take a, a heavy wooden cross and, and drag it around with us as we sometimes see people doing in, in certain parts of the world during the season of Lent. No, it means deny yourself. Say no to those sinful desires that people around you in the world are, are doing and, and that seem so enjoyable and, and like so much fun. Say no. And instead, follow Jesus. Say yes to Jesus, even when it means that people might laugh at you or mock you or mistreat you. Say yes to Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. And so this event of Jesus' transfiguration was preparing, especially those three disciples, but eventually all the other disciples uh, that, that uh, Peter, James, and John told about this event later on. The glory of Jesus' transformation that they saw would prepare them for those dark days that lay ahead. The sight of, of Jesus' glory was intended to confirm Jesus' people, his believers in faith, so that they could endure persecution. The persecution that, that those disciples would soon face um, at the time of Jesus' arrest and his crucifixion, but after that, after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, and then the apostles were sent out to spread the gospel message, and as we mentioned, James was the first put to death, and eventually, according to early church tradition, uh, ten of the others were also killed for their faith. Only John lived to old age and, and died from natural causes, as far as we know. So this glimpse of Jesus' glory was intended to strengthen them in their faith for those dark days of persecution that would come ahead, for witnessing the death of Jesus himself. How about in your life? Have you ever wished that you could have been among those, among that select few there on the Mount of Transfiguration, to see Jesus transformed in his appearance, uh, to see him reveal his glory in that visible and, and amazing way? Or perhaps do you yearn for a glimpse of, of the Lord in your life today, for a, a direct message from God, perhaps at a, at a critical time in your life when you're wondering uh, what decision you should make, which direction you should go with your life, you sometimes wish that God would just speak directly to you and let you know what you should do and, and where you should go? Does it bother you that the God in whom you trust, the Savior in whom you trust, and to whom you pray is now invisible to you? You can't see him face to face? Well, in our reading today, uh, we are called on to, yes, reflect on the glory of this revelation of Jesus, but also not to spend time wishing that we could have a special direct revelation from Jesus in, in that same way that those disciples did that day. 
We shouldn't spend our time wishing and hoping for things that God doesn't promise to give to us. And you and I and, and anyone else simply probably wouldn't know how to take it if God did appear to us in, in that display of his glory as he did on that Mount of Transfiguration. Think about what Peter had to say when he saw Jesus there in his glory. He said, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three, three tents or three booths, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, intending that they could stay there and, and enjoy that time of, of glory and, and seeing those heroes of faith. Now, Peter's suggestion wasn't motivated by, by his sinful desires. It wasn't wicked as, as far as we know. He was simply deeply impressed and moved by what he saw and he wanted to mark and commemorate and perhaps prolong that occasion for as long as he could. Peter's response seems to be a, a well-meaning response to this God-given revelation. And we could imagine uh, much worse ways that he could have responded to that moment. As we read, he simply didn't know what to say because he and, and James and John, they were terrified by what they saw. Most of us probably wouldn't have been able to make a, a better suggestion than Peter did at that time. Peter at least recognized that something very great had taken place, and he felt that that event should be remembered. But the mere sight of Jesus glorified in, in that transfiguration did not in and of itself do the saving work that God's Holy Spirit does to bring us from spiritual death to life. And so ultimately, Peter's suggestion really missed the point that God's manner of establishing and keeping his people in his kingdom of grace depends on more than just seeing a miraculous sight or, or, or sign. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. So God's communication is channeled to us in and through his word, in fact, his incarnate word, Jesus, the, as whom the Bible describes as the word of God, the eternal son of God made flesh. God speaks to us through his son. And we see that especially at this moment of Jesus' transfiguration, that a cloud overshadowed them. Think about those times in the Old Testament when that cloud indicated God's presence with his people after he led them out of Egypt at the Exodus, that pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night guided them and, and guarded and protected them. And then after the, the tabernacle uh, was constructed and eventually later also the temple, a cloud over the tabernacle or, or inside of it or the temple indicated that God was present there with his people. When God called Moses up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, a cloud covered over the top of the mountain, indicating that God was there. And so now when the cloud appears on the Mount of Transfiguration, right away, Peter, James, and John knew this is God himself, God the Father in his glory appearing. And then, of course, the voice then confirmed it as God the Father said, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Isn't it strange and amazing that God would even need to say that after he had just proved that uh, visually through that uh, glory and, and radiance that he had just shown before their eyes, shining from, from Jesus? 
God the Father apparently completely ignores Peter's suggestion that they memorialize that occasion and that they stay there. God the Father doesn't suggest that they, that they put a, a, a marker on this particular place and that they come back to that place and that they, they worship that place because of the appearance of God that had happened there. No, God simply tells them to focus on Jesus. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. He is the one through whom you are saved. Jesus has words of judgment, of life, and of salvation that mean far more to us now than than the most glorious vision of his divine nature. Just the mere sight of Jesus in his glory wasn't what saved people then, and it also won't save people now. After all, recall that most of the people who saw Jesus and even who witnessed uh, many of his miracles, those displays of, of his glory as God, they still didn't believe that he was the Savior. We know that the enemies of God will surely see Jesus when he comes back again on the last day, but instead of, again, believing in Jesus as their Savior, they will simply behold him in terror realizing to their horror that the one whom they had rejected as the true God and the Savior is, in fact, just that, but that now they stand under his judgment. As Revelation chapter 1 says, uh, when Jesus returns, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, who nailed him to the cross or who were responsible for doing that. And everyone who sees him in unbelief, will cry out in terror because of him. But on the other hand, those who are believers in Jesus as their Savior, listen to him, listen to his word. Those who really see Christ in faith, who who truly hear him in faith, receive a message that is is more than just that marvelous sight that, that was amazing to look at. The word of God is the one thing that we truly need for our salvation. Peter explains it beautifully and fully near the end of his life, uh, some decades after this event that he had witnessed, when he had those many years of time to reflect on that experience and, and everything else that he and the other disciples had seen and heard about Jesus. And so he wrote again in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, We heard this voice that came from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you would do well to pay attention to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star shines in your hearts. And then he goes on, First of all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture ever had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter calls on us to pay attention to God's Word, to Jesus, who is the Word of God incarnate, to the Word made flesh, and and to the Word that he spoke and the Word that he inspired his Holy Spirit uh, to, to speak and write down through the prophets and the apostles. Because God's Word is what brings his saving light, the light of salvation and life, into our hearts. And that's especially important because, as we mentioned, now, today, we don't see Jesus in visible form. 
physical sight of, of Jesus, of his humility and his death on the cross, and then his glory and his resurrection from the dead and, and his ascension into heaven, that visible sight of Jesus has been taken from us, just as 2,000 years ago he was visibly uh, taken away from the disciples. Yet still he is with us. Still he speaks to us through his word, the Bible, the, the message of the law and the gospel. As, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God the Father himself made this declaration about Jesus. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. He tells us to do this. Sometimes it's hard for us modern Christians to, to grasp the intimate connection between faith in Jesus and also the, the regular use of God's holy word. But there is an unbreakable relationship between God's Son, Jesus, the Savior, and his word, the Bible, which brings to us the message of, of Jesus and his love and salvation. The incarnate word of God, Jesus, comes to us by means of the written word of God and the light and power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus once said to some of the Jewish people who believed in him that if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Jesus, before his suffering and death on the cross, emphasized the seriousness of his words when he said, let these words sink into your ears. Don't just let them go in one ear and out the other, but let them sink in. Meditate on these words of God and what they mean for our life and for our eternal life. So God the Father is calling us to not miss out on the salvation which the Savior Jesus came to bring. Don't strain and then seek for him in vain where he can't be found, where he doesn't promise to reveal himself to us. Don't go looking for him in, in uh, all these uh, fashionable new philosophies and ideas and, and spiritual and supernatural pursuits and practices. No, God is with us through his word, the Bible, as he has revealed it. And then, after Jesus had revealed his glory, after God the Father spoke uh, from within that cloud, just as quickly as, as that vision of glory had appeared, it was also gone again. And we read, Suddenly they looked around and they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. So the story ends very quickly. We have another indication that the, the sight and, and the place was not the primary importance. The Lord wouldn't let his apostles remain there up on the mountaintop and, and remain in that vision of glory. But he led them down the mountain, and, and as he did so, he had one final instruction for them. He told them not to tell anyone about what they had seen and heard until he had risen from the dead. It was his resurrection from the dead that would make this event and, and all the other events of his life and ministry on this earth that would make them all fit together and make sense, showing that he is 
through God himself, that he is the Savior of the world. The last great truth connected with the transfiguration gives us the assurance of Jesus. Brightness is, is reflected in us who are his people, who believe in him as the Savior. The God of life and glory who, who manifested himself in his one and only Son, Jesus, also is working out his purpose in our heart and mind and body because, as the Apostle Paul wrote in our second reading, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, take heart. No matter what challenges or difficulties you face in life, remember that Jesus, who is the true, almighty, eternal Son of God, is with you, and he is your Savior. Even though we weren't there to witness this event with our own eyes and to hear that voice of God the Father, even though there is much that we don't understand about this event and, and about so many other things in the Bible, yet we know that simple truth of God's love for us through Jesus. Even though we, we often tremble in terror at, at, at challenging and, and frightening circumstances that we face in our lives, sometimes not wondering uh, how we can make ends meet and, and how we can go on in life when, when we are faced with so many difficulties, God assures us that his glory is at work within us right now. He assures us that someday we will see far greater visions of glory than Peter, James, and John saw, even at that time of spectacular glory at Jesus' transfiguration. God assures us that his kingdom, for which we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, that his kingdom has already come to us through faith in Jesus as our Savior. He assures us that our citizenship is not of this earth, not of this country, that, that our home here in this world is not our true home, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to bring all things under his control. May God grant it. We continue now with our next hymn on page 12 in the service folder, How Good Lord to Be Here. 